everybody, and uh, welcome back to another exciting episode of Indie Corner Radio. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, and I've got an awesome guest here today. He hasn't been on the show before, but I'm really excited to chat with him because we're going to get into something we haven't, I don't think we've talked about on Indie Corner yet, So, uh, which is being a sales agent, which is uh, not something you typically uh, get to, to chat with somebody about. So uh, please welcome John Thomas. How are you doing, John? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So once again, like we don't usually get to talk about that because as far as I know, most sales agents probably keep to themselves a little bit, you know, I kind of imagine that. Yeah, a little bit. And you know what it is with me is I didn't really start out, um, you know, with the goal of being a sales agent. I actually... I went to college and I studied. Um, I actually went to college and got a degree in theater with a with a specialty in acting. I was I was trained by the same professors that trained Tony Shalhoub. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, they were like, yeah, he's like the only famous alumni from the University of Southern Maine. Hey, if you're gonna have uh, one famous <laughs> alumni, Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, well, too bad my college uh, pissed him off. So mm. that's another story, but um. Yeah, so I wanted to be an actor, and I, I actually, I, I mean, I, I went into it trying on a lot of hats. I uh, dabbled a little bit in special effects. Um, I wanted to eventually, you know, direct uh, that type of thing. Um, then I ended up, uh, well, first, I just kind of fell in to the, uh, the sales agent stuff. Um, I broke into the industry by doing some small investments in like some micro budget movies like uh be my cat a film for Anne. uh that's that was one of the early ones i invested in which one uh be my cat a film for Anne. romanian found footage movie really really well done uh, uh, see found actually... footage isn't my style but i'm trying i'm trying to expand my horizons and watch more stuff this year are you into like art house horror some I mean, it depends, I guess. Yeah, this one definitely would fall under art house. I think it's a very interesting concept. Um, I was immediately drawn to it when I saw uh, it being posted about. Like I say, it's a Romanian film, uh, but English language, and it's about this Romanian filmmaker uh, playing himself, basically, who sees the movie Dark Knight Rises and becomes obsessed with actress Anne Hathaway. Uh, the title "Be My Cat," a film for Anne. So he basically uh, records this video of himself talking to Anne throughout the movie, trying to convince her to come to uh, Romania to be in his film, and to convince her of his directing uh, talent. He has some local actresses. Uh, that he has do some scenes but things kind of spiral out of control people end up dead it's uh it's very it's very and the acting is amazing this dude real method actor his name is adrian tofe he literally lived as this character for like a month um like he rented a separate apartment and he just like it was amazing. Like the actresses, they all did method acting too. And like the only way that like they would tell if he was like speaking as the actor, as his character or as the director, if he was speaking Romanian, 
he was the director. If he was speaking English, he was his character. Interesting. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Amazing no, I, stuff. I mean, I could, I could see people giving money to that or helping that out. It, it never blew up very big, but it got some really solid reviews. One did Anne Hathaway that, uh, see it, though? I do not know. I like to think she did. Uh, I would like I to think that a movie kind of all about her. At some point, <laughs> somebody would be like, hey, did you know I made a movie? And you're kind of like the star in a way about it, you know? Like, it basically... It, it it's I've thought of it in um, more recent years as kind of like a messed up horror version of um, Borat. Okay. <laughs> Where he's obsessed with Pamela Anderson. Yes. Okay. I see that. <laughs> so there's an, well, I, I think they got Pamela Anderson for that movie. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, see, they had a little Hathaway bit more money. Is not, you know. is not in this. No. <laughs> um, it would have been funny if like, I don't know, they were able to get her phone number or something to call her and like that would be in the movie. But, you know, obviously it's a little bit too much. Um, but I, I, anyway, getting back to your your question, uh, how I got into the sales agent stuff. Sorry for the tangent. Um, uh, but um, yeah, I I had the the be my cat film for Anne. There was one other movie. I'm not going to mention the movie because I don't want to give it publicity. The director is a thief. Um, so I'll, I'll just leave names unnamed there. Okay. Uh, but I it wasn't me. No. <laughs> But my uh, now uh, business partner, uh, Adam uh, Witten, uh, he uh, helped get distribution for it. That was one of the ones that I had invested in. He got uh, a distribution deal with Gravitas Ventures. They got it on the Hulu, this little like $1,500, uh, you know, crap. This was another found footage movie, but like the other end of the spectrum. Like, I'll be honest, like you can call a spade a spade. It was not a good movie, but I was like I, I like I said, I was trying to break into the industry at this point. So I was well, really in the beginning. You can't yeah. like beggars can't be choosers. Exactly. Kind of yeah. Um. So and he ended up helping uh, to get distribution, uh, mm -hmm. and it, you know it made money. I made back my investment. Um wow. Yeah. So I mean, I was pretty pleased with it. Uh, one. And That's all like investors want. Like, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of indie filmmakers don't really realize this, especially when they do like Indiegogo and all that stuff that really when people invest or put money into it, they don't want to just put money into it. Now, Indiegogo, I guess that's sort of what they're expected, you know, that they're just mm -hmm. donating. That's it. But like real investors, they want an ROI, you know, because otherwise what's the sort of the point, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, But uh like I said, I, I was dabbling with a lot of different stuff. One of the other hats I was wearing for a little bit was I was actually running a horror news website called thebloodshed.com. I know and, of it. Yep. Uh, one of the things I was uh, tried to get going was like a, um, a video on demand site for self-distributed uh, films. And it wasn't very successful. But I did get a decent-sized catalog. Uh, I had about 150 movies on there uh, at the time of launch. Um, and Adam, uh, Adam Witten uh, from Saipuno Ventures, who had gotten the distribution deal for uh, that previous movie, uh, he saw 
how I was able to get this catalog of films together. And he offered to bring me on as, uh, at the time, uh, freelance, uh, where I would scout for projects and then he would do the actual sales work. Uh, and I did that for a little bit. And then uh, two things happened around the same time. One, I got into a car wreck. Uh, and Sorry about that. My, sorry, you know, call space spades, what it is. Um, roll with the punches. <laughs> But um, I did, yeah, I injured my neck and my back, uh, which kind of has limited uh, a lot of my on-set aspirations. Um, I do want to get into voice acting at some point, just a matter of getting, like, uh, of the initial investment in a decent setup. Uh, but at, at, the, at the same time, Adam offered to bring me on as an actual uh, partner. Uh, a, a part owner in the uh, sales agency. Uh, so yeah, I started doing that more and more. And you know, I've always done sales stuff. Uh, like all my like part time jobs through college and stuff was always sales. It was always something I really enjoyed. It was something uh, you know I'm passionate about. I like having like some sort of uh, control over like the earnings I was making. You know. Right. Like, as opposed to just minimum wage, when I was working at Sears, you know, I was making uh, minimum wage plus commission. You know, so it was, you know, that's always that type of uh, having that type of potential for uh, further earnings was always something that I liked. And having it be, uh, you know, a subject like films that I'm very passionate about, especially horror movies which, you know, I love, Adam loves, and they just happen to be uh, the most uh, profitable, popular genre, really, because you can... For independent film, for sure. For sure. And I mean, I wouldn't even say just independent. I would say uh, big big studio. I mean, you can look at, you know, Avengers, you can look at uh, Avatar and their billions that they made, but they also have to take in consideration how much money it took to make those movies. Right. I mean, Avengers might make a billion dollars. It took 600 million to make it, plus budgeting, plus the marketing, and all that. I mean, uh, James Imagine Cameron if horror saying, could get that big, you know? Yeah. James Cameron was saying that Avatar 2 had to, ma had to make $2 billion just to break even. Yep. Meanwhile, uh, this current uh, Guinness World Record for uh, budget to sales ratio is uh, it's paranormal activity currently. Production budget was only $15,000. Ended up making $300 million. Um, and, you know, obviously there was a uh, substantial marketing budget put on top of that after they got their distribution deal. Uh, but I mean, as far as like the initial filmmakers and, and whatnot, like their involvement with it, it was just a $15,000 production budget. That's all it yeah, was. I mean, and, paranormal activity is good, but also just, just, just recently with Terrifier 2, yeah. getting uh like 11 million or something like oh yeah and that definitely, was only yeah, on a few a screens mm. you know yeah that's, that's definitely uh a strong one uh that was with bloody disgusting uh, i'm really thrilled that that's one of the companies that we've started working with i've already uh placed one film with them um they have not started doing their marketing for it so i don't think i'm allowed to name the movie yet and i'm about to close out uh another deal and they have interest in a third movie so 
it's uh things are looking very very uh very cool with them uh, i'm very pleased with uh you know their ability to uh really give uh indie films some traction that's awesome um i i've been seeing a lot of distributors these days uh for uh horror really you know stepping up their game and and doing a great job with that stuff Absolutely. or whatever um as a sales agent though like i mean there are some uh dis distributors out there that i mean god bless them i love them and people use them because they are they do get you know your movies out there but they don't make a lot of return for your for your uh investment i don't think you That's know right. and stuff so do you have to basically look for companies that are doing that is that what you're yes you usually and do? Un unfortunately i mean that the we we have a constantly evolving network of uh distributors so uh, we're at, always adding and removing companies from it uh some companies that you know used to perform a certain way suddenly you know they go through some sort of change in management or something and they start operating in a different way that no longer really uh is being profitable for filmmakers uh, and then, you know, some companies are evolving to um, start, uh, well, for one thing, one thing I'm seeing in general is actually with uh, some companies, uh, one of the things that's always been a huge pain for indie filmmakers is uh, expense recoupments uh, that a lot of distri uh, distribution deals have. Uh, what I've started seeing uh, more recently in the last year and a half or so is some companies uh, have started doing uh, little to no expense recoupment uh, while still marketing the film. Uh, we've had a lot of success with one company in particular that I've been trying to place, honestly, as many movies as I can with, because um, they have been doing phenomenal work. Um, let me see here. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, and I was as I was saying, yeah, some of the companies have started uh, to like offer that even as an option. Mm -hmm. uh, like um, Indican, for example, uh, I've actually had them where before they would usually have like uh, you know a large uh, expense cap recoupment. Uh, usually, I think it was somewhere between ten to twenty, typically. Um, On like a what budget? Uh Usually anywhere, I want to say in the low, anything under like the low six, I would say. Oh, okay. But uh, wait, low six, like low six grand, right? Not low like... six digit, yeah. Okay, six digit, yeah. okay. Interesting. Um, and then, you know, if there was an MG, that would be on top of that. But uh, what we, I, I've actually seen them start offering a choice where they will say hey we can do uh you know this mg with expense recoupment and uh you know like a 70 percent uh cut for the filmmaker or we can just do no mg dollar one uh at 50 50 split you know i've seen i've seen you know some companies are starting to adapt to that and uh that business model has been a lot more uh successful now that mm -hmm. we've started seeing uh some companies use it there had been some companies previously that did the the dollar one 50 50 splits uh stuff before but there was also the habit of those types of companies not doing a lot of marketing for the films oh okay 
Interesting. So, okay. So let's, um, you know, for, for most people who may not be familiar, like sort of with the, with the business side of stuff, you know, because me, I've, I'm, I'm learning, you know, I'm not very, you know, I'm, I'm not as knowledgeable as I probably should be by, by this time. Uh, but um, I do what I, I, I would like to know kind of like when you first make a film, right. You get like the budget, You finally do you do they talk to you first or do they talk to you after the film is done? It really depends. Uh, I mean, most of my conversations are, uh, you know, in post-production or when, you know, there's a finalized screener. Uh, but I mean, there are it's a case by case basis. I mean, it's never too early to start the uh, discussion. I'm always happy to give tips, you know, tell people, you know, before they make a mistake, you know, what might wait, what might be marketable and what might uh, might not be. For example, don't use black and white for artistic purposes. Distributors hate that. Please do not do that. Unless <laughs> you, you just plan to distribute yourself, yeah. I mean, right, yeah, ridiculous. Uh, I, I personally fucking love black and white. Um, so it, I love it, art house. I, I love art house horror. I love the uh, the more artistic stuff. But yeah, that's one. That's one of the areas where I have to divest my personal, uh, what I personally enjoy. With what I've seen is marketable, unfortunately. Could people like promote to the per person, like maybe have a colorized version, but then also sort of also have a black and white version? Or oh is... yeah, absolutely. Okay, because like that could be a really cool like special you know feature you know on a disc or something is like because that's what I look for because I know you're probably I'm hoping you're a physical media guy. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I absolutely love physical media, as you probably know by now. I've seen like a lot of my posts and stuff. Um, I when I when I look at these things, I kind of don't want like a bare bones, you know, thing. I want special features and added bonus stuff for it, you know, content. A lot of that's probably beyond what you do, right? Like you don't negotiate that stuff, do you? That's right. No, I don't typically. Uh, I mean, if it's if they have something set aside that they think would be uh, uh, add value to the uh, project as a whole as a special feature that could be put on the disc, then it's something that I would like include with the pitch. You know, uh, anything that I think might add value to the pitch, I'll always bring that up. Um, but I mean, uh, uh, other than that, no, typically. <laughs> No, because like your your job is to basically just sell the movie, right? Right. And so, do you um do you do a lot of it through email or do you do a lot of it through like phone engagement? Uh, both. Uh, phone, email, Zoom calls. Uh, we don't do a lot of the uh, uh the film markets, uh, for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one, um, uh, we found that a lot of the handshake deals that happen at the markets end up falling through. Uh, just a lot of time. Uh, Why is that, that anyway? Like, is there I mean, it's just people. They make they get in touch at the convention. Never hear from one party. Never hears from the other again. Uh, you can't really already have a contract ready or anything. Yeah, you know, like yeah, filmmaker to... gets another offer. You know, there's all sorts of different things. Um, but in any case, I mean, there are sales agencies that do go to those uh, those markets and they um, those sales agencies, they charge expense recoupment similar to distributors, 
we do not charge any expense recoupment. We have no uh, expenses that we charge back against the filmmaker. Uh, we have set contacts at uh, at the distributors in our network, uh, and we just reach out directly to those guys, either through phone or email, uh, and that stuff is free. So, so I want to talk to you. So, like about the fact that, like, a lot of your films that you promote. I'm, I'm going to look at your banner here that has uh, like Velocipaster and uh, Ash to the Bone and don't f in the woods you know too and uh res was it a resident evil movie yeah uh george a romaro's uh resident evil documentary oh nice and uh sh was it uh shifted so shaky, but shaky shivers oh uh shifted yeah that's the other one that's right i replaced i had shaky shivers up on there uh, a couple months ago so you um so like with like velocipaster like that must have been a pretty good easy sell because it's you know crazy crazy movie like that. I mean, it's that stuff. It's hard to predict what's going to go viral. For one, full honesty, that was uh, that was handled before I came on as a co-owner. That that was handled by my partner Adam. Um, but I mean, I'll tell you right now, they never expected it to like blow up. It's not a movie that had any like big names in it or anything, so it didn't get. I, I don't believe it got any MG at all, uh, but it has I uh, I met the guys. Considerable money. I met the guys at Texas Frightmare. They premiered the movie there. Nice. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, my only problem when was they came to Buffalo. I was like, oh, you got to see it when it came to Buffalo. Yeah, uh, they have a there's a small uh, festival here, Buffalo Dreams. Uh, oh yeah, I festival. know Buffalo Dreams. Uh. I, it's small, but has it gotten hasn't it gotten bigger? Um, it's it's. I, I want to say, I mean, it's it goes for like a week. Uh, but it's it's usually just a few films uh, a day. Is that Greg's one? Yeah, yeah, it's Gregory Lambertson's. Greg, uh, Greg Lambertson's, yeah. Yeah, uh, I uh, I love that dude. By the way, like his movies yeah, are just awesome. phenomenal. Um, but yeah, he he has uh I'm I'm like wait oh I know Buffalo Trace because he promotes that all the time and I uh, yeah I love it um but yeah I you know um I met the guys who did Velocipaster and yeah I think they were just happy to like make something that people sort of found some kind of silliness with you know like yeah. that people liked it you know. And it just blew up. It still goes like viral, like every so often. Alice Cooper name dropped that in an interview. <laughs> how did he? What was the was the like context? I don't know. He was like mentioning how like he's enjoyed some like really weird like indie films that he's seen recently, and he mentioned Velocipaster. Ah, oh. did you uh did you do the sales for Clownado? Uh no, that's not one that we handled. Okay. I don't believe. Okay. For some reason, I I always put those two together in a way. I think because they came out around the same time, so I just always think like you know. Um, but and they also came out from Wild Eye, I guess, at the time or what whatnot. Um, and uh, but yeah, it, it's amazing that you're able to go out and just put these, you know, like you know, work with these filmmakers and get their get their stuff out. Like that's that's awesome, you know. Yeah. Are yeah, you ever I, I love doing it. Um 
I love helping the filmmakers. I love giving the film, you know, the best possible uh, opportunity that I see to, you know, make the filmmakers some money so they can keep doing what they love. Yeah. Um, so is there, what's your, like, what are your, like, rules when you're, like, looking at a film? Do you have certain ones, like certain rules? Well, I mean, there's things that I, you know, look for that I, I know add value to it, like, obviously, names, um, you know, name actors. Um, special effects is good. I love, right now, creature features are really good. And that, you know, that's one thing that's always evolving is like what subgenres are popular. And, you know, so I always, um, I honestly, usually once or twice a month, I go on to IMDb Pro and they've got the filters on there so great now. Uh, you can literally uh, filter by like stage of production and you can even like look at when, uh, like when, uh, uh, sort by like when each film was like last updated. So, you know, if I'm doing like once every couple of weeks, I'll look and see like which ones were updated in the past 14 days. And, uh, you know, I just send out emails and, uh, you know, if I see something interesting. Very cool. I like that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in, like interested in that stuff because I love, you know, hearing about what it, what it's like to do the business side of this shit. You know, like I love hearing that you're out there and I mean, and you have to know what what's selling right now, you know. Yeah. Um, and is there like a way to figure that out, or is it just by talking to the distributors at that time? Honestly, it's observation, just seeing what's uh, what's being popular. Um, I mean, some of it is definitely talking with distributors. Like I've I've had a couple of distributors actually like give me just like a list of subgenres they're looking for. Like I can tell you that you know the supernatural stuff is still popular. Anything with Ouija in the name, uh, you know, just, you know, those are those are the I'm not kidding. Like, fruit. Like Amityville is popular yeah. right now. Like, yeah. it, like okay, so you, we got to talk about this because this seems to be the thing. Is like Amityville, sharks. Uh, was it? Uh, uh, you said Ouija. Um, yeah, Ouija stuff. And Ouija stuff, like. All of these things seem to be still popular or whatever. Now it's like because the trend of like putting a, a drug and a uh, yeah, creature together. I saw, what did I see? I saw cocaine panther or cocaine cougar. cougar. cougar? Yeah. yeah, I saw a poster for that yesterday, I think. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's Crackoon getting made. Oh, God. Um, there's tons of these things. And it's because... Like people are just jumping on the, you know, the yeah, trend. Yeah. Is that is that what sells? Is the trend? I mean, it can. Um, I mean, it's, it's low hanging fruit. Uh, and, and it only lasts for a I little bit, I think. Yeah, and I don't fault anyone for going for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely one thing I'll look for. I've been trying to get a hold of like some horrible shark movie for a while. I'd love to rep one. <laughs> Well, it seems like a lot of those are actually called for by the distributors, it seems. So yeah. you can tell me if this is right or wrong, but like somebody like SRS, who Ron Bonk, who um, uh, I like, I know, you know, not not really well, but you know, like I know from Facebook and stuff, but he uh, he has like shark movies, he has Amityville movies. I'm sure, he'll have some crazy, you know, drug 
you know, whatever movies, whatever's <laughs> popular at this time. But he's the one who pays the the filmmakers and they go out and then, you know, give it to right. him. And so you don't deal with those the you know, the companies like that, right? Like because Correct. You know, unless they yeah, operate a little bit differently. So, I mean, uh, he's I know Ron and he's an awesome dude. He has, uh, as far as I can tell, he has an awesome company. Uh, but yeah, it's not really like a compatible company with uh, like a sales agency in the way we operate. Yeah, because he's already he's already doing it. <laughs> yeah, right. He is the sales agent, I guess, to mm-hmm. himself, which is a cool way to handle it. Um, yeah. how, you did. So um, Philosopher was uh, was Wild Eye. Um, do they do they do like do they use sales agents? Uh, yeah, we they do use uh, sales agents. Yeah, um, we used to uh, we used to place films with them uh, pretty regularly early on. Uh, they before things started going more towards um, like the the dollar one deals that we're seeing now. Uh, them uh, companies like Wild Eye Gravitas. Uh, I mean, they had the expense recoupments, but at the time they were probably like the best bet a lot of like the micro budget stuff had of making money. Yeah. So do you deal also like uh, with any of the streaming channels or is that like what the distributors do? Uh, I mean, distributors do it as well, but uh, yeah, in some cases we do pitch directly. Uh, We pitch directly to Shudder, Screenbox with Bloody Disgusting. Um, and we do, uh, have not explored it too much yet, but we're in the early, uh, hopefully in the early, uh, stages of forming a relationship with, uh, Tubi. With Tubi? Tubi TV, uh, for their, uh, originals. Oh, for I'd love actual... to be able to pitch them originals. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, that'll be, that'll be great. I, I, Tubi is like one of my favorites. You know, now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tubi, uh, the AVOD streaming channels like Tubi, Vudu, those are what's really making uh, uh the money for a lot of uh, the micro budget stuff. And and they uh, they're now owned by Fox, from what I understood, right? Like they, I am not sure who currently owns them. Because I thought they like uh, I thought that was like Fox bought them out or something. That was like the big scare was like everybody was like, oh my god, it's gonna change, and like literally, it feels like nothing has changed except I don't believe anything has. You know, except the originals started coming out. So I'm hmm. wondering if they just got more money. You know, yeah, that might be it. And so they're just like, so it's a better, it's a better deal because they're not, uh, they're not changing their their program i guess like the way they do everything which is fantastic i yeah uh and i can watch like uh, i've been going down i don't know if you saw my post recently but i'm going down like a 40s thing i'm falling in love with that decade Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of 40s movies on tubi and i'm like ah like (laughs) which is great a lot of classics and stuff you know and then the new indie stuff too so it's it's a mixture and uh and that's um, what about what about companies like Arrow or like Vinegar Syndrome? Uh those, yeah. I mean, typically they do like re-releases of older films. That's not really anything we work with too much. We mostly work with uh with new releases. Uh the movies that we have, typically what I tell people is um like new releases, you wanna get a distribution deal within like the first three years. Otherwise, mm-hmm. uh distributors start seeing it as like stale. 
right? Okay, interesting. So you want to, yeah, I think that might have been a, a thing. Uh, I wanted a company, I forgot what it was, to distribute my film. And then it was like over three years, you know, and so I guess they said, you know, they weren't interested or whatever. Right. And uh, I was kind of upset, but I was like, and then I did get a company and I'm not going to say the name because you can figure it out if you watch the movie Scary Story Slumber Party. But uh, my my first film, my my anthology, I got this company to, uh, you know, to uh, license it. And uh, and then I, I think the company either just like disappeared or something. But the dudes, the, the messages, emails back from the guy started like bouncing back at me. And I'm like, uh oh. And yeah, that's now not, that's they're not what you want to see. right. And now they're in, uh, they went to uh, Plex. The movie went to Plex. And I hmm. did not, I, I had a deal with the guy like after, I think it was like three years, you know, if I didn't want it anymore or if I didn't want them to distribute it anymore, I would tell them before the, you know, three years and they would, you know, and so that was in my contract. So I sent them the thing and uh, they ended up, um, not getting back, you know, and up bouncing. So have you heard anything from Plex? I messaged them uh, because somebody told me somebody somebody messaged me. Go, I watched your movie the other, you know, last night, and I go, what movie, you know? And they're like, let's uh, talk after this. I'll see if I can dig up some contact information. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate. It. I don't want. I don't want to air anything. It's not Plex, you know. Not saying yeah, no anything worries. about companies, but you know. Um, I appreciate that. Um, but anyway, uh, the point is like sometimes, you know, deals and stuff, you got to be careful with distributors because, yeah. you know, um, that distributor was nice, got me, uh, got me that stuff, but like I never got any money back, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of it was your, uh, the recouping costs and everything. You did tell me that it was going to take you know, um, a little bit of time to recoup the cost. And I don't think he ended up recouping the cost anyway. So, right. you know, um, and then I was promised originally physical media, you know, and stuff. So Never I'm doing happened. that on my own, Jeez. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Um, I mean, I will say uh, physical media is real difficult right now. I mean, a lot, a lot of times the best way of doing it is with, um, you know, online only, uh, you know, on-demand uh, sales, uh, you know, where they, they, they only print a small number and they don't print anymore until those are gone. Problem with, like, Walmart is, like, those buyback fees that they get is, um, you know, if they buy, like, 30,000 units for, like, the country, there's, like, a date on that contract that says if those units aren't gone by this certain time, the distributor has to buy those back. And then they end up, like, being sold for like a quarter in some dollar store bin under cost. I noticed that. Like I've been buying those. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are part of my uh, DVD hauls or whatever, you know, or Blu-ray hauls. Um, I enter, I, I sort of understand that, but you know, and, and that sucks. Um, it's and it's cool seeing your movie on a shelf. It's just a lot of times it's not worth it. Honestly. Well, it, it's not worth it because of what you're saying, but the distributor doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to do it, you know, because they don't want to have to 
buy back the costs, you know, and everything like that and have to distribute it through, you know, uh, Dollar Tree. But um, I, you know, as a, as a lover of physical media, um, it drives me crazy to see everything going digital and people are just like, Oh yeah. Digital. You can, you know, just turn it on. And I, I, I stream like everything. I have like almost every channel. So like, I get it, you know, like I'm not against streaming. I'm just like, let's, let's do 50, 50, please. You know, like I still love my physical media. Got a hilarious movie. One of the ones that we repped uh, early on uh, called Furry Nights. It's on Tubi TV. Is it like in? It's a horror comedy. K or is it nights like N? Like Uh, nights like 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 night, like versus day. Okay. So furry Uh, nights. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And that's one that never got a physical release. And I've always been upset about that because I really want. I like a physical copy of that one. <laughs> you want to own that copy. That's the right. thing. Like, I mean, I'm looking right now. You can't see it because, you know, this screen. But, like, in front of me is, like, a whole bunch on my desk. It's a whole bunch of movies. They're going for our uh, DVD hauls that we do, you know, for nice. uh, Indie Film Cafe. And, um, I mean, we do 20, so there's, like, stacks of 20 uh, DVDs. And I still collect DVDs. I know a lot of people don't like them but i mean you know sometimes yeah, that's the I'll, only way I'll you can still DVD. have it i i really still don't care dvd versus blu-ray um i still have no preference honestly i mean people are snobs a little bit about blu-ray because it looks better but like i mean if you have a 4k player they generally make it look the best it's gonna you know it's gonna look yeah. in, anyway so like i you know it upscales it you know, uh, from DVDs, it doesn't bother me, whatever. I don't care. I just, <laughs> I want, you know, as many movies, some of these, like, you know, um, like I, th- I bet there's a Blu-ray for like fool's rush in, you know, the, um, Matthew Perry movie, but, um, do I really want that on Blu-ray? Like, do you do, uh, have you ever done horror pack? I did. Yes. I used to do horror pack. Yeah. yeah we, we actually, uh, we place movies directly with them sometimes. Nice. So, are they the exclusives? Or are they just like, you know, uh, they're you know they obviously uh, they're not like the uh, the only deal you want. Uh, so they have to fit into whatever rights the uh, main distributor has. So they don't work with every deal. Uh, but you know, whenever the distributor is okay with it, they're you know a nice little uh, bit of padding. Um, they usually do like. I think the last movie we placed with them, they did like 1,100 units. Oh, wow. Uh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, it a few dollars, uh, like, it's like a couple bucks, uh, like a bu- couple bucks a pop. So, it's not bad. Okay. Interesting. I, I like and, them. You know, they, they try to do like one, like, micro budget movie in each of their packs. Um, yeah. I, I've never noticed that before, but I think when I was doing it, they weren't doing that, you know, and this was like pre COVID. So this was like 2018 or something, you know? Um, And we were doing that as part of a, like unboxings, you know, things for YouTube and we're unboxing horror packs, which everybody else was doing anyway. So it was sort of not getting as much attention, but I mean, we were having fun because we were buying horror packs and we, we bought them. 
you know, like we would spend 25 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it was. And we would buy the horror packs and have like three or four DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever. I would do the Blu-rays. My partner would do the DVDs. And so we would have something different to talk about, you know, plus he didn't like, you know, he didn't care either way whether mm -hmm. I wanted Blu-rays because I do want to, you know, do that. But uh, some of them were great and some of them were schlocky, you know, and, and you know, whatnot. And that you never know what you're going to get until that month, right. you know, yeah. and it was a fun little thing. It's just sadly, it's not something I can afford at the moment to do every month. Um, but I'll, I'm not always super into, I don't really care like Blu-rays versus DVDs, but I'm a sucker for like limited edition stuff. So I really love like the horror pack. Cause they actually, I, uh, I think that was what uh, the micro budget one they would put out would actually be like a horror pack limited edition it would have like a, a different cover than what you'd usually see um and you know I, I have a whole shelf on my uh in my living room of just like, like the horror pack limited editions yeah one of the ones i remember getting was pieces um yeah yep. i think that's one of them yeah yeah and uh it it was a different um uh blu-ray cover than i've seen before and i really I did one you're talking about like the old black and white stuff uh, you're saying you're getting into the 40s. They put out like a really nice uh, original Invisible Man uh, with like a slip cover that glowed in the dark. It was really Whoa. cool. <laughs> They're stepping up their game. They're, uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I liked it. It was a really cool one. It was like black uh, black background with uh, green uh, shaping. So what we're saying is people need to, you know, need to go check out horror pack at horrorpack.com and you know buy i mean because it's only uh was it like i think it's like 20 bucks yeah 20 like 25 that. bucks i think it's 20 bucks for like a, a dvd and 25 bucks for you know yeah, right. blu-rays and um you know and if whatever one you want you get three or four of them each you know and it's just it's fantastic it's, it's definitely worth it I just unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm right now I'm going into the boutique Blu-rays, so I'm just buying way too many, uh, <laughs> you know, of those, and those cost more, you know, and yeah. stuff. That's that's the reason, you know. Um, but you know, like Arrow, Screen Factory, right, all that stuff. So, um, all the ones you you were saying before do more of the older Was it Screen Factory films. that did that, um. What was it? The fiftieth anniversary of uh, Night of the Living Dead. Probably that. That sounds about With, right. Like the box and like all the different memorabilia. I have that one. It's on my shelf out there. I love that one. Probably. Um. That's that sounds like Scream Factory. Um. I know. What is it? Uh. Uh. Criterion did uh Night of the Living Dead on four K. Nice and stuff. So I mean, I don't have that yet. I have the Blu Ray of it. You know, mm -hmm. so eventually I'll upgrade, but I mean, it's, it's there, there's not much new stuff added to that, you know. So, other than the fact that it's 4K, I, you know, I'm not in a rush, you know. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so you collect then, yes, you know. Um, how big is your collection? Is it pretty huge? Uh, less than a thousand. Uh, probably I want to say five, six hundred range. Are, are you very picky? 
Um, I can be. Uh, and I did just clean out the collection a little bit. Uh, I was running out of shelf space. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I used to have more. Uh, when I moved out here a decade ago from Maine, I, I had to fit everything I owned into the back of a VW Bug. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had to get rid of a lot of stuff. I had to get, including a lot of my DVDs. Uh, I had a huge horror figurine uh, collection like uh, NECA and McFarlane. Um, and I had, uh, a life-size Jason Voorhees animatronic. My Wait, you sold freak. that? I had to. There was no way it was going to fit in the back of my VW. You could have, my... like, put it in, like, uh, you know, shipped it out to yourself or something. Ah, shipping on that. It, it wasn't a huge loss for me it, as far as, like, financial. It was a, it's a, an animatronic that retailed for 300 originally. My friend bought it at some like discount warehouse for like a hundred bucks, and then he sold it to me for twenty when he got bored of it. So, interesting. <laughs> that's twenty dollars I ever spent to this day. That's great. Um, but yeah, that's 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 understandable. I I traveled, you know, from Virginia all the way to road tripped all the way to California, L.A. Mm. and. Uh, I was I was in a van, you know, it was me and my my partner my co you know, my co host partner and uh we were traveling across the thing and I had all my movies pretty much in my back. Like I took okay, not all of them. I left some at the studio that I had, but like I took as many as I possibly could. And uh, you know, I did not regret that at all. Even though leaving them in the car because I didn't want to like bring them all up to the to the thing like for the first couple months and left a lot of the DVDs. Nobody robbed my freaking bag just <laughs> because they looked like crap and they were just like, oh, there's nothing in there, you know. So I don't know. I, all I know is like, I I was worried I was gonna come in, come home, and like it would be broken into and all my movies yeah. would be gone. But like, awful. what are they gonna do with movies? Sell them yeah. like on eBay? You know? I mean, I don't know, but. It was it was cool having, like I love collecting, so yeah. I love having everything. Um, Definitely, I'm more of a hoarder than I realized. Um, <laughs> sounds like you're you're sort of, sort of a hoarder. You're not really like yeah. I mean, I collect um you know I collect anything horror related. So there's a lot of movies. I got memorabilia. I got a lot of posters with autographs. Um. I got my own office where I uh, put up a lot of just the the movies that you know I've I have copies of that you know I've personally uh, worked on. Um, a little bit of everything. <laughs> Was the pandemic hard for you as a sales agent? Yeah, I mean a little bit. Uh, there was definitely, um, you know, there was definitely a slow period. It wasn't during uh, most of the pandemic. It was like towards the end and after because like during the pandemic there were still people that had movies in post-production okay. they were still working on those but then yeah we hit a drought where like yeah there was no longer any movies in post-production waiting <laughs> right because and then most people weren't making movies right. really right like, it took a little bit of time before people except people like i don't know if you know him but james balsamo was constantly still making stuff i don't know how he was doing it we... but he was 
we ripped one movie called uh, House Monster that was a neat little micro budget made during the pandemic. Uh, it was single, single, uh, single actress within a house. Nice, nice. I actually watched one of those uh, uh, movies. And it was called Lexi, um, mm. and I interviewed. She was on the show like a few uh, episodes ago, and uh, she, uh, Victoria Vertuga, who made it. I mean, a lot of it was because of, you know, they wanted to make a movie, but, you know, the they can't, you know, they couldn't. So they pretty much just did everything they could. And I love that. Like, I thought that was yeah. genius. But unfortunately, think, like, um... now you can actually go out and do it. So, you know. Hey, everybody, and uh, welcome back to another exciting episode. Well, actually, welcome back, period. So we, I already did this introduction uh but we had a slight little issue little mishap and so uh on my end and uh it, it just we had to decide to to do it another time and uh so this is like i think like two or three weeks after you know? a couple weeks yeah yeah so if we look a little different it's because we've opened we've gotten older you know um by a couple of weeks so um i don't know uh uh, I just want to say, because we wanted to wrap this up sort of thing and, and kind of make sure to talk about um, some different stuff. But you just gave me some news. Are you allowed to say anything about this news like that? You Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, basically, that's what I said it. in my post. Um, uh, yeah, we just uh, I just finished uh, the our second uh, deal with Bloody Disgusting uh, that we brokered has ink is finally on the paper it's been signed and finalized so very excited about that uh very uh very big movie uh, they're going to be giving it a lot of uh special treatment oh awesome so you must uh that's exciting period because bloody and disgusting is probably the number one uh maybe tied with dread central as the number one uh horror news outlet you know these days and they're doing I think both are doing dis- distribution, if I'm correct. I think even Dread yes. Central is doing uh, Dread Central is doing distribution through Epic, uh, and uh, uh, Bloody Disgusting is doing distribution uh, through Cynodyme, which they uh, had a merger. I'm not sure, really, if it was a merger, if Cynodyme bought them. I'm not sure what the details were. All I know is Cynodyme and Bloody Disgusting are now one company. <laughs> it's either a merger or a takeover. Something like that. I mean, I doubt it was a takeover. I'm sure if it was a buyout, it was a negotiated buyout. Negotiation, yeah. It wasn't a hostile takeover. You know, um, you know, it's interesting to know that because like a lot of companies are sort of um, you know, combining forces and 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 taking brands and and different things. So the bloody disgusting brand is a big deal. It certainly know? seems like it's more of a merger. Because I know that like Brad, uh, Brad Mishka is still uh, is still involved uh, very heavily with the actual website side of things. So it really just seems like they're going to handle like the media side, and Cinedime is handling like distribution, and they're just going to kind of you know coordinate in that way. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, I like that. I like that they're busy doing stuff, and I mean, I've always loved Bloody Disgusting. They've always been super sweet about anything that I you know, that I have right now, I have nothing <laughs> to, to give them, but if I did, they'd be very, very sweet about it. So I adore them. Um, I hope they, 
Uh, I hope the the distribution stuff continues to really, you know, get bigger for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Um, I mean, I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, what they can turn uh, Screenbox into, you know, eventually. It's, um, it's already uh, looking, you know, a lot better than it used to. right. I actually, it's funny because I used to be part of that uh, when it was like, I don't know how much it is now, but it was $5 back then. Uh, when I first started using Screenbox, and uh, and after a while, I just I didn't see anything new or interesting or whatever. So I kind of asked to to you know whatever you had to to get it uh, taken off and everything. And um, but I might come back to Screenbox. I don't know. There's so so much digital content out there. So many streaming channels and platforms. Well, I know uh, the first movie that we brokered with uh, Bloody Disgusting is up on Screenbox right now. Uh, they just had their release. Uh, it's called Shifted. Uh, Shifted. they're comparing. Yep, yeah, uh, they're comparing it to uh, Night of the Living Dead. So it's uh, The original it's Night of the Living Dead? original Night of the Living Dead as far as like tone. It's not actually a zombie movie. It's it is a, it's a creature feature, uh, but it's very character centric, um, very uh, heavily focused. on like the actual uh you know the actors inside this domicile while like the world falls apart around them So what is um what is the most marketable subgenre for horror right now? the creature features right now i would say yes So if you had a creature um feature you're most likely getting bought uh yeah i mean i can get some really good deals right now for creature features without even uh even ones that don't even have uh, any sort of like recognizable names attached to them. Uh, if they got like decent effects or at least, you know, they, they handle their camera cleverly enough to disguise uh, poor effects, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely a market. Uh, they're very, very popular right now. You know, is found footage popular at all? Uh, found footage definitely has its fan base, but it uh, also has a lot of, people that just outright hate it unfortunately i love it myself um but it, it it can be difficult uh for distribution uh it definitely doesn't make it impossible um but it, it doesn't help the film So if it were a creature feature, like, uh, you know, um, if you don't found have a creature footage feature film. found footage yeah that's potential there's potential there Yeah, that's interesting because like a lot of, after a while, because, you know, filmmakers need to do something different, you know, or whatever. They tend to try to mix the subgenres together, you know, Um You know, it just reminded me, you remember when they were kicking around the idea of doing a the, like the new installment of Friday the 13th as found footage? Oh my God, yes. Yeah, that was crazy. I think wasn't who came up with that idea? Like somebody. I'm not sure. That was one of the movies that they were thinking about doing. That'd be interesting if they, they kind of revisit that idea in the, the upcoming uh, TV series that's going to be on Paramount. Maybe like do like a single episode in that style. That would be kind of cool. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I can't think, I'm just thinking like, Friday the 13th as if it were like the office. <laughs> I'm like thinking of like docky, docky style where like people are like, yeah, so I don't really like this Jason guy and he's uh, sort of annoying me right now. And then the, like the next, next guy that's being interviewed is like looking at Jason, like, 
scared to death or whatever like and then you know that kind of thing because like the movie's set the tv show is set in the before uh right. he actually drowned i don't know if they're gonna set it in was it 50s or 60s something like that something I think. like that because yeah. it was the 80s that we saw everything you know and and then when they were singing kumbaya i think that might have been the 60s i don't i don't know because it, it was so confusing the first movie <laughs> i'm not gonna lie um i remember my dad watched it with me when i was a kid you know mm-hmm. and everything and uh you know he already knew of jason you know <laughs> the hockey mask wearing killer so right. he was like why is this woman getting into a car with a guy in a mask <laughs> you know because you don't see the person that she goes in the car with right. and everything yeah. and i'm like that would be hilarious like now that i'm feeling like years later i thought of that i was like just that would pic- be a great yeah, skit that's or hilarious yeah just picturing like the the faceless uh the person that you're seeing through their eyes the entire time just as jason in that movie that would be funny yeah he's just like conversations oh hi (laughs) hi how are you doing and jason's like because he doesn't talk i i don't know why they made jason mute you know even though what in part three he wasn't mute i I think he made some noises he didn't speak or anything he didn't speak, but he uh, kind of, he, he did, did make he noises. noises. He yeah. was part two where he was like getting stuff thrown at him and he's like, ah! You know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He was such a clumsy idiot, but like and because he, he was be a freaking child. Was before, before he got chopped up in four, he used to be able to run. Everyone forgets that. <laughs> Wait, do you think part four was the reason why? Well, he... uh, yeah, in part four, that's when uh, he gets killed by uh, uh, Corey Feldman's character. Corey Feldman. Uh, yeah, a Tommy, uh, or is it Tommy? Yeah, Tommy Jarvis. Tommy, Tommy Jarvis. There we go. Uh, I was thinking Doyle, but that's Halloween. Yeah, uh, Tommy uh, Jarvis and Tommy Doyle need to meet <laughs> at some point. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, Tommy Jarvis. He kills when he like the kid. Tommy Jarvis kills uh, Jason. Uh, basically, like my head canon is that Jason was like alive in like two through four, and then and then Tommy killed him, and then we had the copycat in five, and then from six on, then he was a zombie. Okay, that sort of makes sense. Was he wait? He was alive. That was my yeah. I mean, they had theorized about it in the um in, in the um, I think campfire scene of part two. Or or three, well, right? Those, but part where, two makes where the sense. Guy, where the guy, where the guy, where the guy, the the camp counselor is telling the campers how he says that Jason wasn't really dead and he was living in the woods and saw his mother decapitated. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so that makes sense for part two, right? Yeah, but then he got killed in part two. No, he came back. He like got injured. Uh, he took out hatchet to the shoulder but i thought it was a hatchet to the head but i could be no that's three he takes a hatchet to the head at the end of three okay Um, but then he dies in three how can he come back in four i mean people survive weird head wounds i guess it's possible you could survive a hatchet to the head i don't know depends on where you take the hatchet That's true. I know. I remember a story i read like when i was a kid i had like this book of like gross medical of like gross science facts and stuff 
And one right. of them was about this like guy who uh, used to work on like this railroad back in like the forties or the fifties. Mm-hmm. And they would, um, they would pound, push dynamite down these pipes to basically blast underground. And they would use this ramrod to push the dynamite down. And this one guy, he was pushing dynamite down the pipe and it exploded and sent the ramrod through his head all the way through. And he survived. It like dramatically changed his personality. He became like an absolute asshole to everyone in his life. But like he survived and he would like go to the bar and he would just sit there and he would put the bar, the, uh, the, the steel rod back into his head and sit there for, uh, for people to give him money. As like an attract a sideshow attraction. <laughs> so you became a sideshow freak after that. Much, oh yeah. my goodness, that's crazy. I don't know, man. I'm uh, okay. Well, I I guess I can get by <laughs> that Jason did that. Whatever you know, because it is what it is with Jason. Jason's one of those characters <laughs> that I you know like. I mean, Michael's been shot you know, and all these other things. And supposedly he's unstoppable and still human, you know, or whatever, you know, my, my actual headcanon for Jason is a little bit controversial because some people downright hate it. And that is that, um, basically though, J- Jason being alive two through three through a uh, two through four, that's the simplified version. Mm-hmm. You, are you familiar with the comic book Freddy versus Jason versus Ash? I know of it. I did not ever read it. It's actually based on an actual screenplay that they wrote as an official sequel to Freddy versus Jason. It just they couldn't clear the rights for Ash to make it happen. So they adapted it into a comic book. But it's literally based on an official screenplay for a sequel. So my head, but, it's Yeah, canon. okay. I guess they can do it as a comic because Oh yeah, they can no do rights. all sorts of crossovers with comics. They do yeah. they do horror crossovers all the time. So fun. The, the stuff I like they do. I, I like some of like Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles or something, you know, kind of thing. Oh, there's know? some there's some really exciting ones. I don't know who's calling me, but they can call me back later. Um but uh yeah that's yeah, that's um. So basically, the idea that what they establish in Freddy versus Jason versus Ash is that both Freddy and Jason are products of the Necronomicon. Okay. Freddy basically, they say that the dream demons that gave Freddy his power are from the Necronomicon, and Jason is basically just like a super deadite. But the idea is that Pamela somehow got a hold of the book after her kid after jason drowned and brought him back but something like didn't go right and she thought it failed and he just kind of wandered the woods as like this undead freak so he wasn't truly alive in two through four uh when you think about it 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 makes perfect sense he survived the hatchet right uh right through the chest Survived the axe through the head. Those are wounds that would not kill a deadite. What killed him in four? Dismemberment. Dismemberment, that's right. What brought him back in six? A lightning bolt. The same thing that resurrected Evil Ash in in Army of Darkness. Hmm. (laughs) Interesting, yeah. You know, hmm. I guess that's how they, like, 
That's how they kind of justified things. That was like, that was Adam uh Adam Adam Marcus, I think his name was. I'm sorry to have you on Adam Marcus, right. the guy did Jason yeah, Goes to Hell. Jason Goes to Hell, yeah. That was his his brain his headcanon when he put the, the Necronomicon in the, the Voorhees house. Nice. Oh god, he did, didn't he? Yep. And then later he had Jason or uh yep. Freddie's hand pull up the grab the mask. So obviously he was thinking Freddy of the Jason. What? Yep. And that set up Freddy versus Jason. Right. Uh, that's a long one. Cause I mean, that was a movie that was, they tried. I don't know if you know, do you know like the whole story of Freddy? There was Jason? a video on YouTube that kind of had like a lot of the history of that. They first tried to make that movie after Friday the 13th, part six. But back then, there, uh, Jason was owned by Paramount and Freddy was owned by New Line. And there's never been an instance of two studios being able to get along to like, I mean, Sony and Disney kind of uh, went with the Spider-Man in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's like a special circumstance regarding like rights that already. Yeah, they, they're not like, you know, Mar- uh, MCU's asked like, or Disney has asked constant times. Like, can right. we, can we have like, this person and this person come over and they're like, Nope, you know, you only got, you know, and now they're going to have venom, I guess, because yeah. venom left a little bit of uh, his thing there. So, and the big problem was that they, they couldn't agree on anything. They each wanted their guy to win basically. Right. So um, they finally, after Friday the 13th, eight didn't perform super well. Paramount finally sold the rights. New line had, had both characters. But it still took them years and years and years to get a script together that was finally something that they thought was was worth it. So the thing is, Freddy versus Jason was in production at the time that Jason Goes to Hell was made. And Adam Marcus knew that. So yeah. that's why, yeah, that's why he did a lead-in. And then Jason X was just made in the interim because it was still taking them so long that they were just like, we should put out something. (laughs) Right. Which is so funny because they said it in the future. So it wouldn't interfere with the Freddy versus Jason that they already knew was coming out. It did. But at the end of it, didn't it like set up that he was in Crystal Lake or something? So like, if you look at Jason X, you know, uh, it, it does set up for Freddy versus Jason because in Jason X, um, even though I guess he gets his mask back or whatever, you know. Well, Jason X is way in the future. He ends up on like the new Earth. The new Earth. Yeah, Earth Two. Yeah. I wish uh, X had done well enough series, where they, they could have made a sequel. You know, they did. They had a series of novels that actually uh, continued that story. I never read them myself, uh, but I know they exist. Yeah, um what is it? Uh so the um uh yeah, so I, I uh was it Jason X was actually the first Jason movie I saw in the theaters because when I was young I didn't wasn't able allowed to go to the theaters and watch it. That must have been you must it must have been just a very limited run because I thought that Jason X was direct to D V D. No, it was a, it was a, it was in the theaters, it was an AMC. I know that hmm. for a fact. I went there to see it. So I don't know if it played in my local theaters, but it played in Hampton, which is like 40 minutes away from me, you know, 30 minutes away. So I went down there and saw it with my friend who was not 
that into horror as much as I am, but he loved it. He thought it was hilarious. So we watched it like twice to see it twice in the theater, you know? Um, and then I saw was a Freddy versus Jason, like two or three times in the theater. Um, nice. you know, and I only saw the remake once because it's okay. Of which one? Of the, of, Freddy, of, of, uh, of, the Freddy uh, remake Jason. wasn't great. I honestly thought the J- Friday the 13th remake was pretty good. It had um, moments. Um, it, it was it was made by the guys who did Jason X, written by them. Um, and I think it, it, there somebody was telling me the other day that the movie would have been better had the story focused on the first group of kids instead of the hmm. second group of kids. Yeah, that was probably the longest, like, that was the furthest into the movie, at least up until that point point in my life that I had ever seen uh the title put into the movie. That was right. like a good 20 minutes when, in when we had the title card. <laughs> but you're not really <laughs> supposed to do that, you know. <laughs> uh, technically you're supposed to get the title card in about 8 to 10 minutes in at least. You know, um that you know a good example of that was like scream, you know, or whatever where you know we get the first kill but the also, first kill should not last us like forever. You know, one of the, I'm also a fan of it because uh, I, I'm a huge supernatural fan. And <laughs> me too. Um, I, I, actually, I, I wasn't a I fan was... of supernatural when that came out first. Oh no, I actually um, that was yeah, same with me. Uh, I I, I supernatural probably like when the first six seven seasons were already out. Yeah, I think mine was six so uh it was about 2012 and i only know that because i was binge watching the show on my way to uh when i was moving to baton rouge and stuff so i think i was up to whatever season it was or so which was a season six you know when right when that friday the 13th remake was coming out they actually tried to do um of jason Voorhees cameo for supernatural they were gonna have uh they were gonna have sam having a nightmare about being chased by jason through the woods <laughs> that would have been awesome or even you don't have to have jason just anybody wearing a mask remember there was that movie bloody uh bloody, bloody murder some, what bloody murder and yeah, they had a guy them. in a hockey mask, but it wasn't the same hockey mask. Trevor Morehouse. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Well, the first one was so bad, but the second one had Tony Shepard. The second Shepa, one so. actually was pretty decent. Uh, they definitely increased their budget. Over increased their budget, and they had more fun. I yeah. think that was my biggest problem with the first is it wasn't nearly as fun as the second one. Second one, it's almost like they're kind of poking fun the at themselves. Was, um, well, uh, Psycho Cop. First one was real, really rough. Then the second one, the one that actually takes place in the office building, yeah, I own that, that one. one is so funny. <laughs> With uh, that, um, Adam Rifkin directed that one, and uh, yeah, it was fantastic. So it's a, it's a fun, goofy look, goofy movie. You know, like it's <laughs> not meant to like, and that that's what I like. Like the eighties and uh, and whatnot had some really fun goofy idea like intruder I love weird stuff i love intruder the, stuff. the movie that scott spiegel directed 
that right. uh, Sam Raimi was in and everything that took place inside their uh, Walnut Lake market that they all worked at, you know, <laughs> and stuff. And just the fact that, you know, for that movie, because of that movie, uh, Lawrence Bender, the producer, met Quentin Tarantino, you know, and everything. And I mean, we kind of owe Scott Spiegel, you know, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of gratitude toward, uh, you know, for him finding, you know, Tar- Tarantino and Lawrence Bender together, you know, which, sure. yeah, uh, which re- worked really well. Um, and then later uh, was a Scott Spiegel directed like from dusk till dawn uh, to uh, so bad that Bruce Campbell, Tiffany Amber Thiessen and a scene. So that made it better. And uh, what's the other one I loved is uh, Hostile 3, I guess he oh. directed. Yeah, he directed oh. Hostile 3. I did see the third one. I saw the third one like once. Yeah, well, I mean. Not a huge fan of the Hostile series. It's it's an acquired taste for people who like, you know. And once again, I don't know if we discussed this before or I've discussed this. Many people, I think. A lot of people hate the term torture porn. You know, because it's just not a. It was coined by one person and blown up. You know, that's what I've been told. You know, and uh, I kind of. I think it was a literally. I forget it. It might have actually been coined for hostile. It was either hostile or saw. I think. I think it was it was hostile, and then all of a sudden it it got blew up. It's the same thing as I hate that term elevated horror. I'm yeah. like, I just, I don't like it. And when Screen put that in there, I'm like, no, now you're just making all these pretentious people <laughs> like feel like they're right, you know, for saying, you know, because I don't, I don't mind movies like Midsummer or Hereditary or, um, you know, whatever, right? I don't, I don't mind A24 horror. You know, I think that they have like some pretty movies. good movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I don't like people going, well, I like them because I'm so much better than everybody I else. I just call stuff like that art house horror. Personally. Art house horror, that would be good. That's okay. Yeah. It doesn't and, sound pretentious. Right. You know, um, sounds like somebody called it that, you know, instead of elevated horror sounds like, oh, we coined our own phrase for how much we're elevated toward everybody. So that's my, <laughs> that's my opinion on it. I don't know. Um, so, uh, Real quick, I think we're going to wrap it up in a bit, but can you give us like a day in the life of a sales agent? Oh, I mean, uh, usually it's mostly just, uh, just, uh, you know, going through emails and, uh, making phone calls. Um, I mean, a better idea, a better idea of what I do would probably be just giving you like an idea of, of like the process for like maybe a single film. Okay. Uh, so basically, what I do is um, now that the, the ba- it used to be more that I would go looking for movies, uh, and I still do. Uh, every couple of weeks, I go onto IMDb Pro and I look up uh, movies in post production, and I can actually sort. Uh, now I love their filters that they have. I can now sort by actually like most recent updates, so I can actually look literally at films that were just updated in the last two weeks. And that's what I usually do. I usually look every two weeks at the movies that were updated in the last two weeks before. 
Um, but now the scales are actually starting to tip where more people are actually starting to come to me, which, you know, is awesome. That means that, you know, we're really starting Word to of mouth. waves. Absolutely. Um, so basically once, uh, once, a uh, either, you know, they come to me or I go to them once contact has been made, usually the first step is I take a look at a screener. Uh, I mean, I can give generalized ideas going off of trailers, uh, things like that. Uh, I can walk people through our, our process, but I can't obviously give like more specific estimates or potential for a film until I see it. Okay. Um, and then once I take a look at the screener, uh, what I do is I usually set up a uh, Zoom call with the filmmaker. Uh, we jump on a call to discuss, uh, go over my thoughts for the movie. And also, uh, I always make sure to go over what their goals for the movie are, like what they want to see in a release, if they have particular things they want to see in uh, an offer, if they have certain platforms they want to try to get the film onto. I want to try to make sure that my uh, what I think I can do with the movie lines up with what they want for their film, uh, because if it just doesn't line up, then nobody's happy. Uh <laughs> Um, and you know, if I think that they, you know, maybe they are new to the industry, maybe their, uh, their, uh, expectations are unrealistic. I'll try to temper them, tell them what I think I can do. And, you know, just say, you know, is this something that works for you? Is this something that, you know, you could see being a, a positive beneficial, uh, you know, uh, possibility for your movie? Uh, and then, you know, once uh, assign them on and our um, our uh, agreements uh, take no pay up front um, sales agent. I, I've heard of a few sales agencies that uh, charge up front. I am very, very leery of sales agencies like that because, I mean, a sales agent can't guarantee results. So why we get the way I get paid is I get paid based off of how the filmmaker gets paid. Um, that way it's in my best interest to make that filmmaker as much money as possible. Cause the more money they make, the more money I make. It's a and win they'll want to work with you if you make them a lot of money. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, you know, what I'll do is, um, uh, you know, I'll go around. Um, so once I, I have them signed on, uh, like I said, we don't charge anything up front. Uh, we also don't charge any uh, expenses. Some uh, sales agents, they charge back on expenses like some distributors do uh, because they go to things like markets, uh, stuff like that. We generally don't go to markets. Um, honestly, at some point, I might go to a market purely for networking. But in general, we find that the handshake deals that happen at a lot of markets. I think you it, said yeah, this on the last one. I believe I might have mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. So I go directly to uh, the distributors in our network. Now, depending on the movie, uh, you know, I might go to different distributors that you know might be more aligned uh, with that type of film. Uh, for instance, like, like I have uh, one uh, distribution company called Cleopatra. Before they started doing uh, film distribution, uh, they were in music. They were a record label, which I, I believe they still do that as well. Uh, so they have a lot of contacts in those types of uh, circles. Um, the name of the movie is, I'm having a brain fart, but we had uh, one of the movies that we repped had, um, I believe it was one of the musicians from uh, Puddle of Mud oh, uh, was nice. actually starring in it. 
so because of that, I uh, knew that, you know, Cleopatra would probably be a good movie to uh, a good company to potentially see, uh, you know, if they had any interest, because they would be very well equipped to handle a movie like that, because not only do they have uh, the networking in the movie side of things, but they also have the networking in uh, the music industry. And when we act, we did get a really good deal uh, with Cleopatra uh, for that film with upfront money. And, and yeah, they, they marketed it to both uh, industries. Um, they actually had uh, banners uh, for the film up on, um, it was a huge rock and roll website. I forget the name of it. Uh, it was, I think it's, it's the biggest rock and roll. It's like to the rock and roll genre what bloody disgusting is to horror movies oh it's not like rolling stones or anything no no they're not purely rock and roll anymore they're more like just general interest i think really oh yeah oh yeah yeah i mean they just do interviews with general celebrities wow what a that that's just sad now you know (laughs) you know everybody wanted to be on the cover of rolling stone and now it doesn't seem like is that big of a deal in the music industry? It's still pretty prestigious, but uh, it's like when Playboy <laughs> decided not to do Playboy stuff anymore. It's like cares. Well, that didn't last you know? long. I think they changed their mind about. They that. went back. To, <laughs> yeah, I think know? they did go back to it, and then and then Hugh died. So now I don't think that's a thing anymore at all. Oh, uh, so. you don't think? Well, I mean, is Playboy still around? I I don't know. I never hear anybody I talk no about idea. wanting to be a Playboy bunny anymore. Um. You know, it, it's not, you know, back then it was a big deal. Now it's just, it porns on the internet. So people can see yeah. people all everywhere naked. <laughs> you know, there's only fans. So like nobody cares about, you know, nudity anymore. You know, it's the not print a big is deal. Dying. <laughs> print is dying. That's true. Print Everybody had to go digital. Um, I was actually talking to my friend the other day and I said, uh, uh, you know, there's no, P and the P and A P P and A anymore. It's it's uh so now it should be DNA. <laughs> I mean, because it's digital and uh, advertising. You know, it's not print and advertising anymore. So, um, but that he was like, he my friend was like, DNA. That's <laughs> that's that's gonna be very confusing. You know, but you know, whatever. <laughs> that's what it should be now. You know, um, that's how. I mean, I'm sure they'll still call it print and advertising because what it's been known as um anywho yeah that sounds wonderful so it's um, just a i think i kind of went off on, i think i went off on a tangent before finishing the what okay. i was uh, yeah <laughs> so basically what we do is um so uh you know if it's uh, depending on the movie i will yeah i got off on the tangent talking about cleopatra uh and uh the the music the rolling movie. stones yeah so uh yeah so we'll shop the movie around um i'll take in offers and uh you know what we'll do is we'll um uh, i usually wait until i have you know all responses uh back before i say i always say you know wait until you hear from everybody before you sign anything you never know what's going to happen mm-hmm. uh you know ideally uh you know we get multiple offers and i can play them off of each other uh you know to get you know a bidding war going uh so you've actually you know- done bidding wars Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you, I, I haven't done as big of ones as I, I, I dream of doing, 
Uh, but yeah, between like two or three companies going back and forth a few times for sure. Absolutely. Uh, this last um, movie I just signed with, uh, fin finalized with uh, brokering with Bloody Disgusting, uh, that was originally almost went to uh, 2B TV, uh, but Bloody Disgusting uh, ended up matching them at the last, very, very last minute. So wait, so once they match them, that you go with the company that matched them, or... In the case of this, yes, because uh, Tubi TV is pretty much straight buyout with no real possibility of uh, any further earnings after that. Oh. Uh, Blood Disgusting does have further potential. So uh, they offered an MG as large as the full buyout that Tubi TV was offering. Uh, now that MG will have to get paid back out of expenses before we uh, bef out of the sales before we see anything further. But I mean, it's bloody disgusting. There's definitely potential for further earnings for sure. That's that's an interesting. Wow, that's cool. Um, I was not. Yeah, I, I didn't know that to be bought out. But I'm wondering, like, yeah, I mean, they have. They must have like. Uh, was it? Um, uh, they have contracts with the people. So when their contracts are up, because. As you probably know, if you watch Tubi, sometimes they'll say, "Oh, by the way, this will be leaving in six days." Yeah, when right? I say buyout, when I say buyout, I don't mean that they. Uh, it, uh, I'm using the wrong word there. I don't mean that they own the film indefinitely. I mean that they're doing like a, a straight licensing fee. Right. We, we pay you this set amount of money. We have the film for that for this set of time. We don't owe you anything further. <laughs> well, so once that goes, you know, once they're done with their contract, with their deal for that time, say they say, oh, uh, we have it for like six years. After six years, it goes back yeah, to the, to, to the original. What? For sure. But I, I will say that re-releases are very, very difficult. Uh, there are not a lot of companies that will take films that have already uh, had previous releases. Especially like if if they are a company like Netflix or something who charges and everything, and they're buying something, they wouldn't want to buy something that's already been watched for free, right? Like that would totally yeah, make... Mean, it, it depends on the movie. But in most cases, I mean, if a movie's been out uh available for several years though the uh and the the term ends for that distribution agreement uh another distributor is going to view that film as having its market ha already been saturated it's been used right you know <laughs> like it's you know it's it's used up it's uh you know it's uh whatever used goods um i that's interesting because then see this is why i don't like digital this is why i don't <laughs> like this because that makes it really more difficult. Like if people don't want to re-release something, then how are people going to see it? Yeah, I mean, that's why I just say I, I just try to get at least small physical releases for as many films as possible. And that's really the way to go is just to honestly, like the brick and mortar stuff is, is so difficult to make money off of. But I mean, you, you know, just selling DVDs, Blu-rays online I mean, that's very feasible still. Um, in you know, do very small printings. Don't, you know, do more than you can uh, you can reasonably sell so they don't end up, you know, being sold for 50 cents in dollar stores. <laughs> right. Yeah, we talked about that too. Um, so okay, so what about YouTube? Um 
like you know they have the youtube pay uh pay like you know rent for four dollars or buy for like 15 you know or whatever kind of deals um do you do that too or is that something that gets done by another company um some of our i think some of our movies have probably ended up for rent on distribution through some of the companies we placed them with i'm not really sure on which ones that's really not like a huge platform uh for movies um not very large i wouldn't say um you it's definitely not going to make much of a difference on the check right uh i'll, I'll tell you something after this thing but i don't want to we had that discussion before and uh i i want to leave that to uh you know um, i mean the thing is i mean when you think about it, if it's through a actual distribution deal uh right. through an actual distribution company that's not the platform that they're going to be marketing uh the film on i mean they'll list it along with everything else but that's not the one they're going to be pushing hard because they that's not where they'll they'll make most of their money right well i mean most of the days it's Tubi makes i mean well yep. i mean well they won't make the money but Tubi does really well, you know, yeah. for views Tubi, and stuff. Yeah, Voodoo uh, do really, really well. There you go. So Voodoo, I never, never thought Voodoo. I never, I never use it. Yeah. So you know, I didn't either. And that's the thing. I don't really know personally anyone that uses it either. But I've been seeing some of our films have been doing really well on there. So, so there are it. people who are like. <laughs> Maybe they're just looking up horror and then they just stumble across your stuff on food. I believe that they have some movies um, structured similarly to, to, uh, to Tubi where they are free to watch with just ads. Um, I, they have multiple ways to watch movies on food. Right. I believe they, have, they have that structure. They have straight up renting. You can purchase movies digitally. Um, they have a lot of different options. Awesome. I love that. Well, I think that about wraps it up. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to mention or, or get out there? Uh, nothing off the top of my head. Yeah. So thank you so much, John. I definitely need to have you come back again, but like for a, another full episode where, you know, we don't have to have a break or whatever, you know, and do that. Um, unless that becomes a running thing, which I really hope not. You know, <laughs> just because. That was a little bit annoying. It was my uh, internet issue. So and no worries. Yeah, yeah I'm but, happy to happy to come back anytime. Yeah, and talk about the, uh, the stuff that you're doing then because you're going to continue to be doing big things. It seems you know. Yeah. You know, Hopefully, that's the part hope. of bidding wars, man. I'm so jealous. I've always seen that like an entourage or something, you know. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> I want to be a part of a bidding war, you know. Um, but anyway, everybody, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, join us next week for another episode. I, I'm not sure exactly who's coming on, but uh, and check it out. Uh, check it out then uh, next Tuesday. Until then, everybody. Bye.